iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, welcome to The Ruck. There's a few familiar names missing today. Stephen Jones, leave of absence. What is he doing with Karen in Antigua with Europe starting? We need to know. As for Owen Slot, well, Mrs Slot has taken him away for a birthday treat to Morocco. He's rocking the Casbah, our very own Joe Strummer. But we have a high-class panel today. We have the last three chairmen of the Rugby Writers Association, even society, Alex Lowe, Sarah Mockford and the dog man himself, Adam Hathaway, <laughs> in no particular order. Uh, if you haven't worked out who I am, I'm the bloke who writes the occasional column for the Times, the Sunday Times, and annoys you on Sky, Stuart Barnes. So let's start uh, with, as ever, dog racing. Adam, the punters want to know what has been happening to your crew. I hear things that haven't gone as well as they could have. Well, we had two seconds this weekend, but... What we can't really understand is Ninja Rascal won over hurdles a week ago. Trainer puts him back over the flat and he comes second. So, Well, I, I've got to say, with the four-legged horses, when I had horses with Martin Pipe, he had the same plot. We'll <clears> go <throat> to Brighton on the flat, win an absolute fortune. Triple your biggest ever bet and add another 300 quid, Barnsley, is what he said. Chippewa came last. So don't let your trainer do that <clears throat> well, ever the, again. The syndicate Christmas, uh, Christmas dinner's in jeopardy at the moment, so... Ninja bet gets skates on. Uh, Sarah, Stuart. four games seen today, uh, seen at the weekend. What would be your pick of the matches? Um, for me, I really enjoyed Toulon Scarlets. I think trailing 18 0, I thought, God, they could easily lose here in 40 0 or something. And they probably a few seasons ago they would. But I thought they responded really well, came back into it. They probably should have won it in the end. I think my highlight was when Halfpenny. Um, cut between two Toulon defenders. Clearly, they didn't think he'd actually run with the ball. They'd pass it and um, scored a lovely try. Uh, did you see that game? I did see bits yep. of it, but I was at uh, Franklin's Gardens. My, my one observation, or one of my observations from that game, again, is that someone needs to teach Lee Halfpenny how to tackle properly. Because he tries to tackle like an American football player, gets his head on the wrong yeah, side yeah, all the time. Yeah, it's happened so many times. All the time. And He's, he's got as far as he's got in the game without really knowing how to tackle properly. I also thought it was really weird what they did at the end where they could have gone for the line out but they just took a quick tap five metres from their own 22. I didn't really didn't really understand why that was a better choice than kicking it to halfway and then having a go. Well, if Toulon had had their backs turned and they'd gone immediately, it would have been understandable. But the ref had stopped the play and were telling them what was what. It was really weird. And after about 20 seconds, they saw sense. Was it a good point for the Scarlets, Adam, do you think, in Toulon? Or is it a game they should have won? And and overall, to, to the panel, what what are we thinking? What what is what is a good scoreline on an away game? I well, I think um, Scarlets be quite happy with that. I mean, Leicester seemed quite happy on with a bonus doing point. the same thing with a lose, losing bonus point on Saturday in Paris. 
Um, I think the key to getting out of a pool is to get something when you go on the road. Take not, a, not, not, not necessarily win, but just get something. Let's look at the uh, Exeter, Glasgow, Montpellier, Leinster pool then. Uh, Sarah, Glasgow played quite well, but they didn't get anything. Um, how disappointed will they be going away from Exeter without a point? And the pressure on them now playing Leinster next week? Yeah, I think they'll be absolutely gutted. They played well enough to get a, at least a point yeah. from that. Exeter did really well to deny them that and I think Exeter will come out much happier I think Glasgow they've got they've said all along they want to get into the quarterfinals again you know they're targeting winning this competition you can't go to Exeter and not come away with anything okay Exeter didn't get a bonus point like a try bonus point but they should have come away with at least one point Alex there were a few um, wasted bonus points over the weekend Bath should absolutely feel mm. that they've they've missed out by not getting one at home to Benetton Treviso. Oh, you're doing Benetton a disservice. <coughs> Hang on, I, I was going to say Benetton to you now, should have scored loads of tries in that game. Have you seen much Pro 14 rugby? They've won three of their last four games. Are we saying Bath are useless, or should <laughs> no. we be saying that Benetton are being savagely underestimated? As you, Sarah, obviously thought quite rightly so too. Well, I just think Benetton will be more disappointed from that game from not scoring any points. Like looking, I mean, I didn't watch it. I only saw some of the highlights. But one, they've been playing a lot better this season. You know, they were denied one try in the corner by Rocco Daguni of all people. Last minute tackle. Which is a dodgy what tackle, do you mean? What right? do you mean of all people? Are you, are you with Eddie Jones? And he can't defend. Well, I'm just saying that's what everyone talks about. Cleaned <laughs> him out around the head. I mean, he was lucky to stay on. Yeah. And then you know their scrum was really dominant. So I think Treviso would come away from that more disappointed. Well, I think the only people who probably didn't think it was it was going to be a walkover were Bath themselves because Todd Blackadder put his, most of his big guns out didn't he yeah I mean Treviso are playing well and if you yeah. study study their form you know Edinburgh are not complete idiots this season they nearly beat them they they performed pretty well and they've had some good wins yeah no, Treviso have done well all I mean is if you win 23-0 you would you would feel like you've fallen short if you haven't yeah, well, nailed well, the bonus point that's what I mean and, and the other team is Wasps who absolutely should have left Ulster with a bonus point but they, their discipline was so poor that as they were trying to chase the game, it was penalty after penalty, and they, they allowed it to get away from them. Now, our discipline is poor. I was going to come to that pool. Staying on the other one, the Leinster one, staying with you, Alex, uh, Montpellier. Mm. Got a bonus point in Dublin. Are they halfway interested in this tournament under Vern Codder? Are they just thinking, point, that's OK, or is that point a sign that they're really intent? I mean, they're playing Exeter next Sunday. Looks a tough game for Exeter. You know, it does. I think um, I think they'll be disappointed, given the, the quality of the Leinster team, the, the number of players Leinster were missing. Montpellier would, might have felt that they, they had a chance to win that game. I think they'll I think they'll feel that in that pool, an away point is, is is not bad. I do feel that they're taking it. They will take it seriously. I think Montpellier, one of the French teams who who want to make a mark in Europe. Uh, we've spoken on the pod before about. They're trying to fast track it. They want to do it straight away. They fielded a, a strong team, and it would be a tough challenge for Exeter to go there because they've got, you know, they've got the power and they've got the dazzle behind. Um, and Leinster just managed to, to to stop them enough to to win that game with a pretty rookie team, um, all things considered. So Montpellier will be happy with the point, but but um, disappointed that they couldn't get more. I think. Right, we're going to take a, a change of gear now and uh, just pull away from the Champions Cup for a minute and a couple of other little stories. We'll start with the Challenge Cup. Kransky Yar, either a half-man, half-biscuit song or the, <laughs> or the Sloan Rangers of Siberia, um, beat Stade Francais, the European Challenge Cup champions. 
I looked at the team. There were enough names in that French team to think that's a hell of a performance. Anyone want to comment upon the Siberian win? Sarah, Alex, well, no, it's obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I thought it's, we'd it's, all be coming in here with bottles well, of vodka. Well, it's, it's fantastic for the tournament, and um, I just hope that Star France say get back a bit quicker than Connor did a couple of years ago because it took them three days to get back. I think that's why this year and last year the Russian teams have to play like two home games in a row. So. Yeah. Krasny are again plays Edinburgh this weekend so it'd be interesting if they can back it up It's the same as the Pro 14 thing with the uh, South African teams Yeah and also it's like the amount of some, a lot of these games it's, enough, it's a lot of travel also for the home team so mm -hmm. I think NSI last year still played thousands of miles away from their own home because just because of the weather like the weather just makes it so difficult and risky and EPCR yeah. are very conscious of avoiding the uh, five days it took Connacht to get yeah, back Yeah they did yeah. I think it's a great story um, just for, for rugby but for you know as a lesson in taking Europe seriously staff will say they did have some names Shane Garrity was playing and, and a, few, a few other players who, who you'd expect should go and be, be the team of Russians but you can't there's no easy games in in Krasnyar are you, are you, angling, are you angling for a trip to Siberia well, uh, well actually I think it'd be really interesting to go and kind of and, and to go and see them and, and find out how tough it is to to, you know, to make it to, to to play at home, thousands of miles from home, um, you know, Russian rugby is one of those sort of dormant giants. So they got the they've got the the players and, and the interest. It would be great. It'd be fascinating to go and spend some time over there. They're doing a lot. Yeah, they're doing really well in sevens and fifteens. Mm -hmm. Is growing there, so this will really help them. I think. Small question. My uh, geography when it comes to the Russian wastelands isn't great. Are we certain that uh, Krasny Yar are in Europe? We're not. They're not an Asian team, are they? I mean, are they in by default here? <laughs> it's way over my head. I've no, haven't done geography I, I, since I was 16. I just wondered, OK, well, we'll, we'll pass on that one. As, they get uh, the Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> yeah. Well, Australia get in the Eurovision <laughs> Song Contest. Well, South Africa get in the Pro 14, so... It's a globalised world, It's a global folks. world now. It's a global world. <laughs> the South African teams could use that as a case to get into the European competitions, though, couldn't they? And that is the perfect segue. My next point is about Worcester Rugby Club. Uh, finding life very difficult. They did get their first win since April against Strugglers Breve at home, but I picked up that Alan Solomons is going to be helping out Gary Gold uh, in the foreseeable future. And I wondered when I said that if there would be a groan. There was a groan. It came from the man whose dogs <laughs> didn't perform as they could have. Adam, this Solomons factor. I just, I just think every club he's been to has turned into a bit of a nightmare, actually, didn't it? I mean... Are we talking about results, performance, or both? Um, results and performance. Good. He's, just because you're a South African doesn't mean you're a brilliant coach. It's another example of clubs kowtowing to the Southern Hemisphere. I think it's pathetic. Can't they get someone else in? Yeah, and also you look back to his time at Edinburgh, all he did was recruit a load of mm. South, well, Southern Hemisphere players who were, you know, half decent, but not great. And I don't think Edinburgh, you know, appreciated it. I think now we're seeing what Edinburgh can do with a Richard Cockrell there who can actually build something. I'm not, but I don't believe Alan Solomons can do that sort of thing. You, you were saying that Gary Gold is a good enough coach to, to do it himself. Mm. Are they lining him up to then replace Gary Gold at the end of the season? Well, God help. Good him. luck. <laughs> well, you, you have to assume that, that that's potentially part of their motivation because they that club have had what, four directors of rugby in two years or something. It's it's the turnover has been ridiculously high for for a club that's trying to establish itself in the Premiership. There's no continuity, so there's no one buys into it, and there's. The players who bought into Worcester because of uh, Gary Gold um, and, and a lot of them, I believe, because of Ed Griffiths. Ed Griffiths has now left. Gary Gold is leaving. 
So pretend, maybe they're bringing Alan Solomons to try and have some kind of continuity. But as we just said, his track record doesn't suggest it's the it's the best appointment. And the final non-Champions Cup talk of the day. Stephen Jones didn't head off to Antigua without dropping one more Jones bomb. Anyone who read yesterday's Sunday's Times will see he had a pop at my dear old friend, Rob Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, viewers... I'm not going to be talking on that. I don't want someone saying, are you still bitter and twisted? But I want one of you three to say, well, is anyone going to defend Rob Andrew? He's taken well, a hammering last week. Well, I am because I've actually read the whole book and not just the extracts Good. that are in another paper. Um, he Obviously, the newspaper in question only had a certain amount of words they could use from the book. So if you're going to do a job like that, you pick out the juiciest ones, which was slaughtering Stuart Lancaster, the stuff about Johnny Wilkinson, because it's Johnny, and... Um, England aren't going to get another uh, English coach uh, after Eddie Jones um, if you read the whole book it's actually quite fair to Lancaster um, you only get a couple of mentions Barnes he's not bitter about that he's oh, um, actually quite fair about Lancaster all he says is, it, is that he went off the rails in the last year which I think most would probably agree with yeah I mean it's, a, it's actually you know one of our friends ghost wrote it and it's, it's actually a very good read let's give chris hewitt a name because I, it drives me mad we got these books and you hear it and he said this book by kevin peterson by rob andrew and they're invariably written by intelligent articulate journalists so let's give well, chris no, hewitt wrote this one yeah well I was, <laughs> <laughs> you wrote one of them didn't you <laughs> Uh, but Chris Hewitt, what do we think of his writing style on this book, Adam? Are we going to give him a plug? Should it be bought well, for Christmas? You, um, you can tell Hewitt's written it for sure. Uh, <laughs> well, I, 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 well, luckily I got sent a copy through the post, but I thoroughly recommend it. Sarah, have you got a copy for Rug Rugby World covering it? I haven't had a copy actually, but my colleague Alan Peary has, and I think he really enjoyed it too. He really enjoyed it. Yeah, I haven't had a copy, but I would, I would like to read it, and, and not just for the sort of salacious uh, Mike Tyndall stuff and, and Sri Lancaster stuff but um, for, for the the book is covering the professional era yeah it's no, there's none of his playing careers so there's no barbs at Barnsley so <laughs> they go back to when he's director of rugby at Newcastle yeah, and, and yeah. it's kind of the, the dawn of professionalism I'd be, mm. I'd be interested to read to read that and he obviously was, was, was heavily involved the two things that he has been really hands on with at the RFU are, is a club country arrangement and the, the, the first deal they did he was all over um, the second one I, I I'm not sure he was quite as involved. Uh, I think Stephen Brown had a much bigger role than has been he's been credited for in in striking that deal with the clubs. But uh, so just as a you know as a, as a, um, a study really on on rugby's lurching to professionalism through the eyes of someone who's been at the at the forefront on it as a coach and administrator, I think it, it sounds like a really good read. I mean, as a sort of rugby fan, that's actually the most interesting bit of the book is um, how they put together the first deal, who the protagonists were on either side, who were the troublemakers. Um, but obviously, if you if you can only use five thousand words in a newspaper, yeah, you're not yeah. going to pick mm. that out. Who yeah. are the troublemakers? Tom Walkinshaw comes across pretty poorly in it. But, you know, there you go. He can't answer back, can he? No, he can't. Well, well, how does Frank Cotton come out of it? Pretty good. Right, back to Europe now. I was going to say I've got a little note here: teams who impressed you. But we're going to hold that one for the finale of the show because. <laughs> I build it think, up, Barnsley, build I, it up. I don't think we're, we're going to have too much, too much variety there. <laughs> best, best games, uh, and not just quality, but games you really enjoyed. Um, Sarah, um, can we start with you there? The mo like I really enjoyed a moment in 
Montpellier Leinster when Robbie Henshaw was bowled over by a Nadolo. And he got back he up. Managed to get there and still stop him. Then got to his feet, drove backwards, and um, got a turnover. And I thought that was a really classy moment from him, given that he's only just back from injury. Um, I didn't see Harlequins La Rochelle, but from the scoreline, I would think that was quite a good game. What, you watched that, didn't you, Stuart? Yeah, well, I commentated on it, so I hope I was watching it. Yeah, um, that was an interesting game. You know, we, 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 all of us, we're up in this world of cliches, aren't we? Yeah, it's the French, it's their first team time in this tournament. They won't take it seriously. La Rochelle said all week they would take it seriously. They've fielded a strong team, and they did. And, and they played some fantastic rugby. I, I think it was the best game of the weekend. We're not talking about the purity of rugby. Um, they were fantastic. I mean, uh, Marcus Smith as a subplot was very interesting. Um, he's got an awful lot of talent. I don't think he reads the game as well as someone like George Ford, uh, but I think he needs a 12 uh, that Ford has now. You know, when Ford, Ford was 18, he did have this vision thing. He now has Tamua to help him as well. At the moment at, uh, at Harlequins, Jamie Roberts will run a great line for you and he'll, he'll make his hits in defence, but he doesn't offer much as a second pair of eyes. And I think... Uh, Danny Kerr, you wouldn't say reading the game is his greatest strength either. So I, th- I think Smith's in a difficult situation, but he obviously has a lot of talent. It was a, a really exciting game, and uh, you've got to love them just to have uh, a prop forward called Weenie Atonio, the French prop. Uh, there is nobody uh, worse named than Weenie. <laughs> he is about 25 stone. They're a massive pack, yet they play wonderful rugby. And you know, Ryan Lamb... I'd forgotten he'd gone to La Rochelle. He came off and I'm thinking, Lamb, he's going to be the weakness. He played beautifully. He played really well. And from a La Rochelle perspective, you know, Brock James is the guy that makes them tick. And he wasn't there. They get Brock James back and they got more accuracy and pace on their passing and wide kicking game. You know, they're not going to win this tournament, but I fancy them to go through into the knockout stages and be a threat to anyone. Is, is on, Lamb, do you think Lamb's found a home after having played for 900 clubs in the Premiership? Well, yeah. <laughs> He has, but you know what? Gloucester was his first home, and in those days under Dean Ryan, they played sort of kaleidoscopic rugby, and he loved it. Sometimes players have to find a club and an environment that suits them, and I think Worcester played very much sort of 10-man rugby survival stuff. Um, most of his other homes in the Premiership, Northampton didn't really play much rugby out wide. One La Roche- Leicester. L- Leicester, never not the right sort of club. Done. He's got the fit in La Rochelle, and it's really interesting. That's a good question, because... You know, we talk Bad about... Well, he's, he, he's a, yeah. <laughs> I realise he's 31 now. That yeah. made me feel so old. I, I thought he'd be about 35. He's been going forever. <laughs> but he, he's just... He's found a home at La Rochelle, and it's a reminder. Uh, when we talk about... We get to November and talk about selections. It's not just about the players. It's how they fit into a system. You know, I, I think that's really important. And uh, brilliant Ryan Lamb and superb La Rochelle. And on, on Marcus Smith, you talk about fitting into a system. I... Um, it's a very good point about the him being a, a 10 without a set of eyes outside him but I think Jamie Roberts is in the last year of his contract mm. and you think that with a, an 18 year old of that talent <coughs> um, Quinns are going to build a, a bat line around him so their recruitment for next season should be based on ha- what's best for Marcus Smith Who, who's the 12 that we can bring in mm. that would help Marcus Smith fulfil his his potential. Well, especially, you know, Danny Kerr's main man there, and Danny Kerr, as I said, doesn't, is not a great reader of a game. Danny Kerr needs a composed 10. So at the moment, they're a little bit frenetic. Before The, the game before that Harlequin match, I was watching it on the box, Adam, the, the Leicester game. Mm-hmm. And 
whilst Ford isn't on the gain line and he's not dictating, the balance of him and Tamua, he, he, he just floats, he picks his passes and he lets Tamua do some of the kicking. Tamua's pass for the Johnny May try yeah. is a beauty. And he fits really well. If Matt Tamua was playing outside Marcus Smith, I think we'd be evaluating him um, to an even greater standard than we are at the moment. I think he's got real talent, but... I think Harlequin have to find a 12 who's a footballer. And it takes us back to the England thing, doesn't it, about who's your 10? Are you going to go Farrell or Ford? Or are you going to go Ford and Farrell to have the 10-12? I mean, on that debate, I remain a 10-12 person. Anyone like prefer the, the, the Roberts style outside of 10? Ford, Ford and Farrell all day long. And, I mean, Tamura has been fantastic for Ford this season. Leicester. I think it just uh, we'll talk about Saracens later. I'm sure, but there were points yesterday. We may. When um, <laughs> we may, they have they have Good playing that role from from fullback. Mm. But it, it's a similar, it's a different setup, but it's a similar dynamic. If, you know, Alex Good can, can get involved, and um, and the next phase, Owen Farrell's there to to, to run the show, or vice versa. And um, you, you, you need those you need those two ball Play players. Options, yeah, and yeah. I think whether it's at ten to I mean, I prefer it, I would prefer it at ten twelve because I like a fullback to be um, as much as I admire um, Alex Good I like a sort of Anthony Watson Curly Beal type fullback who will run and threaten and uh, use pace and footwork and um, rather than just the sort of strategy and Mike Brown um, Mike Brown <laughs> he played very well on his comeback game by the he, way he did yeah I mean he, he, he brings the ball back hard and he's aggressive I, um, I'm a fan of his too I like him I just think I think if, if I was to have a ball player to, to, to choose between 12 and 15 in my team it would be at, at 12 Okay. Yeah, because I think you can just get them involved a lot more yeah. often. And it, 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 you know, it takes back the All Blacks. They were at their peak in 2015 because Mar Nonu had made the transformation from being a bosher into a footballer who could bosh when he wanted to. And they had Conrad Smith at 13, which isn't a bad. If, if, if everyone's fit for Eddie Jones, and you've, if you've got Ford and Farrell at 10 and 12, Stuart, what, what's the best outside centre? Therefore, is it is it a because it's at the moment Eddie Jones is talking about Bentio, no doubt at all. It's the balance of it. If you've got Far, if you've got Ford and Farrell, you know Farrell runs. Farrell is now running and playing like a fly half. So he's going to England will have two fly halves. Who's a makeshift twelve? You have to have someone with that ability to carry because you don't want you don't want Farrell carrying into heavy traffic. He's a playmaker, a passer. You've got four eyes there that can read a game. You can actually, in that balance, then say, let's have someone who can break the game line. You know, ever since Jones has come, he's been like most of England, like most of us in the media, obsessed with a myth that is Manu Tuolangi. Because Tuolangi, at his prime, in that day against New Zealand, burst the game line. Now, Tio did that in New Zealand, and when I've seen him play in a, a desperate Worcester team struggling, he's always looked pretty good. So to me... That's the, the 10, 12, 13 for England, definitely at the moment. Well, Eddie must be thinking along those lines because he couldn't wait to get Manu back in the squad quick enough, could he? Yeah. As soon as he was half fit, he was ba back in the squad and then... Based on absolutely nothing. Yeah, exactly. The song and a prayer. Back to Europe. Sarah, I want you now in your um, vitriolic mood. No, oh, God! <laughs> no, no. It's normal then. Like, like, oh, when you, like, like when I phone you up to say any chances of work and you just put me down. No. I want you now, Sarah, to tell me the teams that have absolutely no chance of making the last eight after one round of the European Champions Cup. Nail them. Come okay. on. Um, no fence sitting. No, that's fine. Ospreys, to be fair. I was I was impressed with the Ospreys yesterday. Yeah. I thought they'd get absolutely hammered. But I don't know whether that's as much because Claremont, I was 
distinctly unimpressed with. They didn't seem like their sparky selves that they usually are in Europe. So I don't. The Ospreys having lost at home, I don't think they're going to get through. Treviso, as much as they're improved, yeah, we we'll accept that one. Don't think they're going to get through. Um, Cast drawing at home to Munster again. Don't they're not going to get they're through. They're not going to right? get through. Um, Northampton. Sorry, I don't know how I've forgotten to mention Northampton. <laughs> obviously, um, they might have another torrid week away at Claremont. Um, game Claremont should improve. I mean, I was a bit underwhelmed by the French, apart from Montpellier, who could have won if Nagusa wasn't so selfish and took the ball into contact and passed to the free man outside him. Um, I thought. Um, they, you know, Claremont weren't great. Toulon weren't great. They sort of switched off after taking that lead, um, and then I think whoever loses out of Harlequins Wasps on Sunday, uh, that'll on. be a decisive. Right, come on, who's going to lose then? Wasps. Wasps are going to lose. Well, right. they've lost more. They've already got a horrendous injury list, and they lost more players on Friday night. Great. Let's talk a little bit of Wasps then. There's a five-day turnaround. They've got a load of players missing. We're all feeling sorry for them. Five-day turnaround. This is a squad you work with day in, day out. I assume they wouldn't have done too much work. You don't have to do physical work out of Europe. You do it before. They did have four players back. It's not as if they were absolutely stripped to the bare bones. It was a stronger team than the one that played Saracens. And I watched that game. And yes, they led 9-3 at one stage. But the main reason for that is because Ulster have no scrum. Connaught's pack demolished them. You know, once Ulster played for five minutes, that game was put to bed. I think was are playing really poorly and I don't think it's just now a matter of personnel. I think their confidence has gone and their shape has gone. Is Dai Young not in trouble, but is Dai Young feeling some pressure now for the first time in a couple of years? Uh, well, I'm sure he is. I mean, I'd, I'd all, you probably shouldn't say this on here, but I'd, I'd always be tempted to chuck the next game and take the boys away and take them to Spain and play golf what? and do whatever and go beyond Northampton and give up after one round have they got enough players to do that <laughs> <laughs> that's true I mean they've, they've had a, a terrible time of injuries but you know Harlequin's got 25 people out or if you include the academy people um, I don't know they just had such a bad shot they need to draw a line somewhere and start again it's, it's not I mean they did have players back on Friday night they were hit by losing three players before half time one of whom Brendan Macken meant they had to yeah, yeah. play Miller at 10 move Gopeth to midfield that's accepted but the players the big name players they they have are also playing really badly yeah. Willie LaRue looks a, a shadow of the player since he's Nathan, gone there. Nathan Hughes I don't think played very well at all made some poor decisions James Haskell looks heavy yeah yeah he, look, he looks yeah he does looks heavy late so it's not last season when they were playing with with pomp and skill and flair and pace there's none of that about their game this season at all they're missing Cipriani definitely yeah Dan Robson has, has missed a few games but it's 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 more than just than just injuries I mean it, the injuries haven't helped but but on Friday night they had a team there that, that could have done a hell of a lot more in Arsenal than, than they did and you're right the moment the moment Arsenal almost decided to go and win it they went and won it easily and, yeah and Pierre Tau and Stockdale were, were superb um yeah, I, I, that Stockdale kid's massive, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's yeah. a big lad. He's a big yeah, lad. And th- that first try they scored, um, you know, Elliot Daly was a bit out of position in, in defence, and then Wade then stood off, and then Larue came in off his wing because he didn't know what was going on. And meanwhile, Piertel's just weaving this this lovely run, tying them all in, and releasing Stockdale into space. It was, yeah, it, was it was a lovely try, and but it was a, it was a it was poorly defended. I think sometimes you don't realise how influential players are until you're missing them and whilst Danny Cipriani now is no longer the sort of flying sprinter tabloid headline player that he was of old 
I watch Was without him and the timing of his pass, the delay on the run, the decision when to kick and when not to kick. I think that since Danny Cipriani has been injured, we've actually seen what a good player he is. Would anyone agree or disagree with that? Well, also, I mean, that's going back to the Ford Farrell thing. I mean, when um, Cipriani plays with Gopeth, who is a, an out and out 10. It's a, te- it's, yeah, yeah, it's it's a nice 10 12 balance, yeah, isn't exactly. it? Right, OK. Um, you're, we're going to go to Paris now, where Adam was enjoying himself. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk Leicester first. I thought they did bloody well to get a bonus point. Um, and they're bagging contention in this pool with Cast to come at home. Um, well, they did well to get a bonus point considering they they lived on sort of starvation rations, really. I mean, as we said previously, they um, Ford and Samoa played really well together. Ben Youngs was good. Um, up front, they still lack a bit of nasty in the fashion. second row. Oh yeah, they want a bit of old-fashioned Martin Johnson type dog yeah, in there. Yeah, really. yeah. I mean, they, that's what they could do with. But um, they all seem quite happy to nick away with a point particularly as they were playing against one of the most unbelievable players I've ever seen Leone Nakarara I will leave you three to talk about him I, I I commentated on him in the 2015 Pro 12 final when Glasgow beat Munster and he beat them one handed on his own that was a similar performance he was touched with genius wasn't he Saturday he, oh. he's ridiculous if um, forwards still go drinking they should kick him out of their drinking club because he, <laughs> he plays he plays like a back he's six foot nine 19 odd stone he's absolutely bonkers don't know how you play against him every we were laughing in the end every time he got the ball he could have five Leicester players hanging off him and he'd get it away somewhere it was you unbelievable you say he plays like a back but when they throw to him in the line out you can actually overthrow by about a metre yeah, and sure, he'll yeah. still pluck it up yeah. and give you a clean ball to the scrum half well, I was hearing the weekend that he so he you know he runs giant poor over the ball, one-handed, which means he can like it's sort of like an octopus, just keep it away from from any tackler, anyone trying to knock it out of his hand, keep it up high, basketball type offloads. Um, but he works on that. It's not. I was hearing from Ogara was, was saying that he it's not just a kind of a natural skill that he just does it. He works on it. He, he practices it. He's got a, an incredible core by all accounts, core strength, which means he can operate standing up tall. And, and he's he's in, in that kind of form. As he was in that final, he, he is unstoppable because because you can't pin him down. You you think you've got him, you think you've chucked him into touch, and this kind of just giant arm kind of scoops from around over your head and flicks it back in. Field. And it's it's pure maths as well, isn't it? If if two or three people are having to take one man, then somewhere you got space. And you know, if if Racing had held on to the 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 created spaces, they would have hammered Leicester. They played some, yeah. they actually played some good rugby. It's not just him; they've got a very powerful carrying game. Well, I, um, can sorry. I just make Sarah, my yes. point on Nakarawa? Sorry, massive fan. Yes. <laughs> and at the 2015 World Cup, I interviewed him about offloading. Whoa. And he learnt to do that from playing in Fiji in rivers. Because they would play, don't ask me why they were playing in rivers, but because the water's so high, you had to lift your arms up quite high to pass. So that's how, really? that's what he told me. Uh, I'm and gl- you've got to remember, this is a guy that played in the Olympics as well in sevens. So... For someone to be, come from second row to play in sevens, win a gold medal, I think, you know, he's just one of those one-of-a-kind players in the world. Up there with Bowden Barrett in terms of skill. I'd have drowned if I'd played for the same club as <laughs> in the river. <laughs> My God. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And now, so we all agreed that Leone Nakarara is the player of round one, aren't we? Yep. Oh, yep. Yep, we are. And sorry, viewers, we're not going to have a shock here. When we talk, come to the team performance, it's Saracens. I, I watched that game... Um, in a pub in Chiswick in a state of religious awe. And if anyone saw me come out of the... Is your name for it? <laughs> if anyone saw me come out of that pub at full time staggering, it was just the quality of Saracen's performance, I promise Please you. Not that, any of that red wine? I, I, I pro- no, I, I promise you. I, I, I thought... Uh, what did Mark McCall say? Their finest performance of the season. I think it's the, the best I've seen Saracen's play since they before they came European champions. It, it was spot on yeah I was down there last week um, talking to the, the three assistant coaches and, and um, they were talking about the, the evolution of their game uh, attacking wise because what, what they've been frustra- frustrated with so far this season is they've produced it in patches and then they've, then they've switched off in games and I left there with a real sense that they believed that, that they were going to do that um, on Sunday night they they talked about how this is a team that haven't yet hit their straps this season and they believed they were going to deliver and they did and and of all the um, you, you talked about what's a good score away from home I mean 57-13 is <laughs> a, a, an incre- incredible score away from home but the one the moment in it that um, I thought summed up their performance was about five minutes from time when, when Owen Farrell uh, with some help from Jackson Ray Stopped Smashed, yeah. Courtney Laws in his tracks. Courtney Laws, the only Northampton player who looked like he was um, on a par with anyone from from Saracen, stopped him in his tracks, smashed him backwards. Five minutes from time, they were desperate not to concede a try. They did in the end, but I just thought that that relentlessness for for eighty minutes um, was was awe inspiring. Like you said, Sarah. Yeah. Papers, social media. So I've been told. I don't read too much of it, but everyone is saying that uh, Jamie George. Demolished Dylan Hartley. Is it fair to compare the two on the balance of yesterday? I didn't watch yesterday's game, sorry, because no, 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 I knew... If, if you trust us that Saracens were fantastic and Northampton were crushed, can you... Eddie Jones was there. Can you draw anything from that? I wouldn't say you draw anything from that, because obviously Dylan's not going to be helped by his team performance and George mm. was obviously massively helped by his. But if you look at their body of work over the last six months, George has got to be ahead of Hartley now. And it's just how much Hartley's leadership is crucial to Eddie's plan. I think that's what it comes down to. I don't think it's about ability. I think it's about what they what Hartley delivers in terms of leadership rather well, than skill. It's not just off the field as well, is it? I mean, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie was a hooker. Hartley's a hooker. Eddie likes a bit of edge. Hartley gives him a bit of edge. Hartley is, is very much Eddie Jones taking the field in someone else's body. I honestly believe that's a situation. <laughs> I, I do believe that's a situation there. Is that there. like Joe Smith and Johnny Sexton? Yeah, very similar. <laughs> he's an emissary on earth, yes. You're right. Uh, the, Eddie Jones goes to these games and he sits in the stand under a bobble hat, which he doesn't need to wear because it was in the East Midlands. But he sits there and, is, and he gives nothing away in any game which you've Oh, caught. I don't know. There was, wasn't there the incident when Hartley got. Um, sent off last season when Jones was in the crowd going oh 
and yeah, slam yeah. something down. Oh, so I'm I think, not sure. I was thinking. I think he gives. Not very, there's definitely one occasion where he's well, done that. Well, the occasion I'm thinking yeah. of yesterday was was after the debated tackle about from from Owen Farrell on on Ben Foden, and then Tamar Harrison comes wading in, and there's a bit of a scuffle, and Eddie's sitting there under his bubble hat with a smirk on his face, <laughs> loving it. Loved seeing his abrasive fly half inside centre, just standing up, making those big hits. Um, he loves that niggle, that's my that's my point. He loves that that edge that he gets from Dylan Hartley, that he gets from Owen Farrell. Adam, and maybe he doesn't get from Jamie George? No, he's not a soft player. Adam, let's not talk about Farrell, he just gets it's better and better, we know that. Mm-hmm. But Liam Williams has come in how do you think he's going and outside of all the stars you know the bits and pieces the glue that holds them together which Saracens are the ones that impressed you so much yesterday well the uh, if you take away the sort of Galacticos from the yeah um, take them um, out so, I mean the guy who impressed me most hasn't played for England for over a year I think it was George Cruz I mean he had an absolute stormer ran the line out I spoke to him in the week and he said he gave me the usual spiel you know um not thinking about England, you know, as long as I play well for Saracens, blah, blah, blah. But I know we've got hundreds of locks um, knocking about. Izzy Equi was pretty good yesterday, yeah. wasn't he? Um, but Cruz looks like he's back back on form. Um, Williams, well, Jim Mallon just said before the game, they picked a team to deal with the aerial threat of Saracens and they still can deal with it. Williams was great in that respect. So, one round gone, five to go and then three knockout rounds. I'm asking the question now... Is it premature? Can anyone stop Saracens making it three? Not, not based on, on what we saw on this round. I, mean, I, I think I picked Montpellier before the, the tournament. Um, but I think uh, if Saracens play like that, or even, you, even close to that... If you're offered evens money for the rest of the tournament, do you take it? Yeah. Mm, I'm not offering you evens. Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you offering me? <laughs> three to one on. Well, I'd probably still take it. I think, yes... It's hard to see anyone beating them. I saw your piece in the Sunday Times oh. yesterday saying that Claremont and Toulon were the only no, one of the three. No, you did not, because that was not in yesterday. Nope. Oh, the week before. Well, thank Sorry. You. <laughs> You're going to nail me. Be accurate. Sorry. The week before, um, with saying it would be Claremont, Toulon, or Saracens, to be honest, Claremont and Toulon neither really blew me away this weekend, so I think Saracens are up there, and I agree. Montpellier probably looked the strongest French team. It'd be interesting with Racing when they get Dan Carter back, whether that they can continue the role from beating Leicester. Adam, anyone? No, I'll take the even money, thanks. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I, just, I can't see it. But um, I, mean, this, I mean, they got beat by Bath um, five weeks ago, but uh, if they play like that, no one can live with them. I, they, I, I put this out there yesterday, I, they win the Six Nations. That's an interesting point. And the other thing about Saracens, they're so good, they lose when they don't mind losing. And I think we have to understand that. When you've got 22 Premiership games... And you've got a playoff system, you don't have to win them all. And they've become very good uh, losing a couple of games during the Six Nations. Last year, they just went too far and it cost them a home semi-final. Yeah. But generally, they get to Europe, they see European as, uh, Europe games as cup games, and they have to win it. And then you see the real Saracens, and I think they're a class apart. And it's an interesting point you make about if they were in the Six Nations, it's they would take some beating. Uh, when I was talking to Alex Anderson in the week about the difference between sort of about it's kind of how do how do winning teams keep evolving that was the, the idea of the conversation but in it he he was saying that that Europe is a sele- their selection matches for Saracens join the join the premiership they have a rotation system uh, playoffs and Europe are selection games so the, this is this is their first, you know, they pick their best team and he says they therefore play their best rugby in Europe 
because of it. Well, we've had three rugby writers chairman here. You knew they wouldn't let you down. They haven't. All I'll say is, Owen and Steve, enjoy your holidays. Don't hurry back. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.